Welcome to another edition of the Flathead Beacon Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Drew, recording from the beautiful, sunny Flathead Valley. It's Friday, April 6th. Since the Montana Constitution was crafted in 1972, there have only been 34 changes made to the state's governing document at a rate of less than one per year. However, over the last three months of the 68th legislative session, Montana Republicans have introduced a record 67 constitutional amendments. My colleague Denali Sagner wrote about the crossroads the state constitution is facing, a story that can be read at flatheadbeacon.com. To gain some additional insight, I reached out to Lee Banville, a political analyst and head of the University of Montana School of Journalism. He joins me on today's podcast to share some of his observations from the legislative session. Before we get to that chat with Lee, however, a quick reminder that this podcast is sponsored in part by members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Members support all of our journalism in all of its forms, and they do so for as little as $5 per month. We're also launching a new Editors Club website with some brand new perks, so to find out more or join today, visit beaconeditorsclub.com. Can you introduce yourself and what you do? Sure. My name is Lee Banville. I'm the director of the University of Montana School of Journalism and a political analyst, kind of a political observer who's uh, been following Montana politics for uh, a little more than a decade. Well, in this decade that you've been paying attention to Montana politics, you've obviously seen some pretty big shifts in the in the makeup of the legislature, as well as who's in charge of the governor's mansion. This particular legislative session is a little bit unique. Can you talk about um, what makes this kind of an interesting one to observe? Sure. I mean, so a couple of things kind of converged this session. Um, uh, you know, on the one hand, we, we had um, the second session overseen by uh, Governor Greg Gianforte, the first Republican governor in 16 years. So we have that. Then we have um, the sort of coalescing of Republican power in the legislature so that they actually had what's called a supermajority, which is a two thirds of both houses. Um, And what that enables them to do is hypothetically, it could be override a governor's veto, although that's less of an issue these days because they don't disagree on a lot. And the other thing it does is it allows for things like the placement of amendments to the Constitution on the ballot for voters to consider. And so there was a lot of talk about that. And then what we also saw was, okay, so two years ago when when the legislature met, there was this backlog of legislation that had been systematically, technically, well, vetoed by the Democratic governor uh, or Democratic governors. There were a couple of them. Uh, and so all of this legislation only poured out of the legislature and, frankly, straight into the courts. And what happened was a lot of it was struck down or hung up because of either Montana constitutional issues or, or other things. And so what we saw this term was there was a lot of anticipation that if the judicial branch says that the Constitution doesn't allow us to pass this kind of law or this kind of law, then what maybe what we need to do is change the constitution or change the way the judiciary is structured to make it more uh, responsive to what they see as the the will of the people. Um, and so going into this session, there was this 
what we actually saw was a flurry of activity about love the Montana state constitution. It's the best, uh, which was actually an effort to kind of undercut what they saw as a potential tidal wave of constitutional amendments. And Mm -hmm. it did look like that was going to happen. I mean, there were like 50 on the table at some point, um, which, which is a lot. But what we've seen is a, a lot fewer are still even, you know, on life support because because uh, a lot of them have gone down in defeat because of a variety of issues that we'll probably talk about. Yeah, I think as of today, everything that has been introduced as far as a constitutional amendment has not passed the first chamber, even with enough to uh, get through a supermajority push. But yeah, let's talk about this this record number of of constitutional amendments. I think there were sixty seven that were at least drafted at some point. Oh, all right, um, you got the you got the exact number. Not all of them actually uh, made it further than a draft. But when you were looking at a lot of them, is there a, a theme to kind of the the direction these amendments were trying to alter the constitution? I, I would say there were a couple of buckets. Uh, I, I guess that's a theme, but I'm going to call them buckets. Uh, but basically what we, uh, what we saw was first there was the legislature passed a bill. The court said it violates this part of the constitution. So let's change that part of the constitution, right? So we saw bills or, you know, amendments that might address the power of the Board of Regents over the Montana University system, mm-hmm. um, which is what what thwarted the effort to kind of allow more more gun rights on campus. Um, we saw some some sort of mulling over of uh, amendments that would clarify that Montana's right to privacy doesn't address abortion um, because there have been previous decisions that say it does. And so the only way you really change that is to either change the composition of the court and get a different case that tests the same question, or you actually explicitly say, no, this is what the constitutional right to privacy actually means. Um, so there was that bucket, which was the, my, my bill died, and now I want the constitution to be changed so that it won't. Then there were some structural ones around changing the judiciary okay. uh, that really looked at, okay, how do we elect uh, Supreme Court justices? You know, there was sort of some consideration of creating districts that they would represent so that it wouldn't be a statewide race. There was some consideration of, you know, moving to an appointed Supreme Court versus a, an elected one. Um, there was some limitations on the power of, of judges to place injunctions. There were a variety of things Mm. that were sort of, uh, kicked around. And then I think there were just some, some sort of, uh, the third bucket I would say would would, sort of just the catch all of like, you know, there are things that I feel like the the Montana constitution should have addressed in the past and haven't. Mm. Um, so things that are more proactive, kind of moving the constitution in a certain direction. Um, because, I mean, the Constitution, you know, was drafted in 1972. It has some fairly progressive elements to it that have have really made it trickier, like the right to privacy or, you know, the right to a clean and healthful environment that have created sort of ripples through the system that have made it harder for the legislature to pass some of the laws that they want to pass. The process of amending a constitution is not an easy one. Uh, it has to go through the, the legislature. It eventually has to go before the Montana voters. But we have seen, even with a supermajority, a lot of these introduced amendments not even make it through the chambers with enough people. Can you speak to kind of how that goes to the constitution being a, a 
formative document that's not meant to be easily amended, but also why with a supermajority and the governor's mansion, the Republican Party is still struggling with some of these. So uh, a couple things. I mean, first, I need to uh, pay homage to the real political expert in Montana, who Chuck Johnson, who passed away. And um, before the session started, um, I was talking to Chuck and and uh, he I, I was like the constitutional amendment thing. He goes he and he within like 10 seconds was like, well, here's exactly how many constitutional amendments have been uh, uh, proposed over the past, like. 12 sessions mm-hmm. and it was a it was a big number um and then it was like how many have actually gone to the voters and it was a small number and how many have actually passed and it was an even smaller number now admittedly it's about the same number that was put in this year right but still what we're seeing is you know getting a constant it's like the federal constitution getting a constitutional amendment is not an easy thing so they do have a supermajority, barely. And so what happens is to actually change the Constitution, you need every Republican to agree. And although there is this perception that, you know, Republicans, Democrats, they're sort of monoliths. And I would say that Republicans have really tried to create an image of themselves as like we are a unified party and we agree on everything. They don't. Uh, they, they, you know, when, you know, think about how many Republicans are actually have a very deep libertarian streak where they just want to be left alone by the government, both in terms of their pocketbook and in terms of their bedroom and in terms of their life. And so they don't want the government involved. And so when you look at changing the right to privacy, that may cut differently for some people based on the fact that, you know, maybe I don't want the government kind of getting too involved in my my personal medical decisions or my uh, fill in the blank, uh, my gun rights. Um, and so I think what we've seen is to get all of the Republicans to agree is not as easy as, as um, I mean, it, it, it shouldn't really be this surprising, but it's not as easy as I think people thought it was going to be. Because yeah. um, even early on, you know, really veteran lawmakers like Lou Jones were, were saying things like, you know, I'm going to look at this and I'm, you know, I'm not looking at this as an electoral thing. This is a constitutional amendment, and I view these differently. And so I think, you know, that's kind of what we've seen play out, which is that um, there's widespread agreement on a lot of these issues, but it's not unanimous. And to get that supermajority right now, it's got to be just about unanimous within the Republican Party. Kind of going off on, on that tangent where you're talking about the Republican Party in Montana is not a, a monolith. We have seen this really uh, emerge in the last couple weeks and months, especially with the chairman of the Montana Republican Party signing a letter that basically ousted a former Republican governor from the Republican Party. Can you just talk a little bit about this shift in the Republican Party and kind of these splinters we've been seeing recently? Yeah, not only former governor, but former head of the National Republican Party. (laughs) So, I mean, it's even more kind of like, Huh. Um, So, you know, I will say that the the Republican Party and I mean, periodically, both parties kind of have moments like this where Mm -hmm. they I mean, if I think back because I'm old, I think back to the pro-life Democrats. Mm -hmm. There used to be like anti-abortion Democrats. There weren't a lot of them, but they existed. And they were sort of systematically kind of like 
run out of the party mm. in like the the nineties. And so, because I'm old, I told you. And Republicans have been going through a period like this as well. Um, mm. A lot of it connected to former President Trump, and you know, do you align with his views or do you not? But it's, I think it's more complicated than that. I don't think it's a simple, you know, yes, no, you're in, you're not. Mm. Um, but I do think that what we've seen is the Republican Party has become, you know, there's been a lot of internal debates about, you know, things like one of my favorite acronyms, rhinos, you know, Republican in name only, where you're not really a Republican. Uh, you know, they used to have yellow dog Democrats, which were like, I'd rather vote for a yellow dog than than a Republican. Um, and that, but they were really conservative Democrats from the South. Hmm. So what you see is like the parties go through these, I don't want to call them purges because that sounds violent. Um, but they do go through these periods of sort of like, we need to sort of cleanse ourselves ideologically of hmm. something. And for the latest, I mean, what's interesting is how swift this has happened within the Republican Party. These tend to, like, when we think about the end of the, the Southern Democrats, that happened over decades. This shift in the Republican Party, you know, I mean, Mark Rothko was a uh, was a leader of the party up until five years ago, uh, and now is is persona non grata. And so, like, to to see it that swiftly move from one thing to another is is kind of surprising, but. But what I would say is, you know, Montana is still a pretty conservative state. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of people who see themselves um, as conservative, but not, might not fit the mold of a, you know, a Republican that would reject Roscoe as a member. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think where we're seeing is, you know, the party is kind of is trying to, I think, sort of centralize and consolidate its message so that. What will be interesting to me personally as an observer of all of this stuff is they had all these proposals, 67 amendments. Mm -hmm. If they really don't get any of them through, do they see that as a failure of unity that they didn't like that, that they need to get the party more organized and like beat down on these people who, who undercut the amendments and therefore they didn't get the stuff done they wanted? Or do they see it as like a, okay, well, we're a big tent. And so there are people within the Republican party that don't all agree on all the things. I'll be curious to see what what seems to be the vibe. Like, does the Republicans need to, like, clean up its house so that we all agree so that we can get the stuff done that we want? Or is it actually we're a, we're a diverse governing coalition? And so therefore, you know, we're not all going to agree on everything. And that's actually part of our strength. You know, I have no idea what's going to happen. But I think that's one of the things to watch for. Well, last thing I want to ask you about outside of constitutional amendments and outside of uh, the makeup of the political parties. As an observer of the, the legislature and Montana politics, what else has really interested you this session? Are there specific bills that have passed or specific uh, areas of legislation that you've been interested to see? Well, you know, I think one of the things that's been interesting to watch is also um, how hard it is to address certain things, right? Like, it's it's a lot easier to have these sort of very heated debates about LGBTQ rights uh, than it is to fix housing. You know, I mean, and we watch the legislature, like everybody knows the biggest problem probably facing large swaths of the state is affordable housing. Yes. And, and, and it was a priority of the governor and the legislature, both parties said it was going to be a prior priority of theirs. 
And really, it appears that almost nothing is going to happen on that front, which I think is, and I don't think that's a failure of one party or the other. I mean, I'm sure they will point to each other and say it is. Um, but I think what it is, is it's just so hard for the government to do certain things, right? Like, how do you encourage housing to become more affordable in a, in a community where people want to move there? And, and, and how do you encourage building when everything's locally controlled? And how do you, you know, it's super wonky. I won't lie, but like watching them try to kind of navigate this and sort of come up with a, a tangible plan and then even in a super control, super majority controlled one party state, you know, they couldn't figure out how to come up with a plan that would pass. That's fascinating, right? Because it's, again, it's more of that, like, I think what's what's always interesting about the legislature is a lot is made about the really divisive stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of what they do is passing like, you know, 85 to 15. It's, it's, or unanimously, like there's a lot of like kind of nuts and bolts, kind of boring stuff that's moving through. It's not to dismiss the divisiveness and the the sort of vitriol of some of those debates and the sort of personal nature of a lot of them where it's like it's really individuals that are being that are feeling targeted by like the political system. But I think what what I've found particularly fascinating is just how hard it is to move the needle on a lot of stuff. You know, and so it'll be interesting to see like, okay, what are the lessons out of this legislature? Is it that the Republicans have to, you know, clean their own house and like really impose single views? Is it that the governor, you know, is sort of starts to run against the legislature because he was like, I had this $200 million plan to fix housing and you guys didn't pass it. It, It'll just be kind of fun to watch, you know, because you don't really know what's going to you know, will we look back at this as some oddly quiet legislature at the end of the day? Because so many of the big things that we thought were going to happen didn't. Or is it going to be like, oh, they actually got a lot of nuts and bolts stuff done and we just didn't pay that much attention to that stuff because it wasn't as exciting. Well, Lee, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your observations and your your views and your analysis. It's really nice to know that there's somebody paying attention who can explain it to the rest of us that... uh don't know all the ins and outs of the legislature in Montana politics. You know, I don't know if I can explain it, but it's it's certainly fascinating to watch. And I think, you know, I encourage more people to like follow the reporting you guys have done and the reporting of other places like, you know, the Montana Free Press and Daily Montana, where you can get a lot of the information about what the heck's going on over there in Helena. Um, because, you know, they do, they do affect our lives and uh, we're going to run into what they did. And so just, you know, knowing what's coming gives you an opportunity to prepare for it and and maybe affect it and change it if you're not happy with it. You can read about the attempts to change Montana's constitution and other legislative updates from my colleague Denali Sagner online at flatheadbeacon.com. Specific stories are also linked in the show notes. Now, here's a quick roundup of news from the week you should know about. New numbers released by the U.S. Census Bureau last week show that Flathead County added just over 3,000 new residents in 2022, making it the second year the county has seen the largest growth in Montana. The numbers, which track population changes from June 2021 to June 2022, show the state added more than 16,000 new residents overall. 
Flathead County's 2.8% growth rate has increased the total population to 111,814 residents. Gallatin, Yellowstone, Lewis and Clark, Missoula, and Ravalli County all added at least 1,000 residents in the same time period. Around western Montana, lingering winter weather has forced the cancellation of a slew of spring sporting competitions. For the inaugural Montana high school baseball season, Columbia Falls has yet to play their first game, while Whitefish won their first game against Corvallis last month, but has had three others canceled, including yesterday's Cross Valley match against Sea Falls. The two North Valley schools are among the 21 teams taking part in this historic first season. This week on Wednesday, Montana Governor Greg Gianforte was in Kalispell hosting a roundtable discussion with education and business leaders to discuss transformational education and work-based learning, programs that have been spearheaded by the Kalispell Public Schools in recent years. Earlier this year, Flathead and Glacier High Schools started an internship program allowing students to fit hands-on internships into their everyday schedules. Current businesses and organizations employing Kalispell High School interns include Kalispell Ford, Northwest Plumbing, the Flathead National Forest, Hockaday Museum, and Kalispell Parks and Rec, among others. Gianforte praised the district's program as a model for additional expansion of experimental education opportunities throughout the state. That's all I've got for you today. As always, stay up to date on the latest local breaking, and in-depth news online at flatheadbeacon.com. You can also pick up the latest edition of Flathead Living Magazine on stands throughout the Flathead Valley. This episode of the Flathead Beacon podcast was hosted, edited, mixed, and produced by me, Micah Drew. The music in this episode includes songs by local Flathead Valley artist Mike Murray, who's kind enough to let me use them. That's it for today. I'll be back next week. <laughs>